It's time for East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik. Brought to you by GovTech, your government technology insurance company. Check them out at GovTechInsurance.com. And by Accelerate Solutions, providing enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Hi, I'm Reba Magulik, and welcome to this episode of East Coast Hustle. I'm calling today's show The American Dream. If ever there was proof that the dream is alive and well, it's with today's guest, Karoon Brown, CEO of Robinson Brown, and talk about the hustle. I don't know where to begin with him. Born and raised in New York, one of 11 children raised on a single income, Karoon defied all of the odds as one of the most successful African-American executives here in our DC GovCon market. Most recently, having served as chief growth officer of a multi-billion dollar company, OptumServe, and senior vice president of multi-billion dollar government contracting firms, Lidos and Lockheed Martin, he has made a noteworthy track record. Take these stats on for size. A collective $2 billion of revenue growth for these business groups over a five-year period. He grew his first business unit from $300 million to $1.4 billion in three and a half years, and then went on to increase profits from $9 million to over $350 million in profits in his recent five years, all while reversing negative profits, wearing two hats, and standing up new business lines and improving company and team culture. Karoon has now ventured out under his own shingle, Robinson Brown LLC. I've known Karoon for 10 years, and it's such an honor to share with our viewers one of the most prolific life and careers in the GovCon industry. Karoon, welcome, my friend. Welcome. I'm Thanks so for having me. honored to have you here. And thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. How does it feel? It feels great. You know, I, I, I've had a, quite a journey lately, and um, I uh, finally got to jump out on my own and um, excited to be here and share my story, and hopefully, uh, you know, um, my story will inspire others to do the same. Oh, I'm sure of that. So, okay, so Karim, let me start by asking you, as a relative youngster in this market, did you know in the very beginning where you were headed and... Where did you find the ambition to get there? Um, so no, I didn't know where I was headed. I, I from a young age, I we all, I always had ambition. Um, a lot of brothers and sisters, and um, uh, eleven, eleven, and um, and particularly my initially my older brother, my older sister, and I were very close. So okay. um, you know, um, my older brother, kind of seven years older, he kind of showed me the ropes, and I always got to see him seven years in advance. And um, so part of me wanted to be like my big brother. Um, but my sister and I were one year apart, 11 months apart, and we, we, we always were in, um, inspired by what can we do, what can we do to get ahead, because we grew up poor, so we always wanted more, right? That so you kind um, of fueled each other. Yeah, so that part of the ambition started when we were young. Um, you know, um, I remember when we started our, we call it our first business. First, we had a, uh, a newspaper route. We found out we were, even at 9 and 10, at uh -huh. 10, my sister was old enough to have a paper route, so we, we got two paper routes to start, and then okay. the next thing you know, we had 20 paper routes. And, oh, um, my goodness. Um, but then we found a, another hustle where we um, we we seen homeless people always collecting all these 
cans and bottles. And one day we asked, like, why are they collecting cans and bottles if they're empty? And he said, well, you take them to the store. You can get five and ten cents for them. And, and so we're like, oh, well, you know, let's go collect some bottles and <laughs> go get some candy and, and junk food. Um, so my sister and I would collect some bottles and go cash them in. And then one day we seen these candy bars. They were four for a dollar. And we bought them for, we bought a dollar's worth. And we said, these are really good. I would have paid a dollar for them. And then we, we both looked at each other, and this light bulb went off. So what did we do? We go and went out and collect some more bottles, and we went out and bought um, eight candy bars. We went in front of a supermarket and sold the candy bars for a dollar piece. Gosh, you just kept that business rolling. And then we just we took the money, and we went and bought more. And then before you know it, the store was out of them, and then we brought my older brother into the mix, and um, we got him to take us to Candy Distribution Center where we could buy the candy in bulk. And How old were you at this time? Uh, we were probably in the 11, 10 years old range, and we were kids. Um, and we were kids, and then um, so you know we always had that kind of entrepreneur um, hustle about us. And then um, truly, I did, did I know where I was going? No, I thought I was be purely a uh, technologist, an engineer. Um, and uh, that's your background. Um, yeah, I started in technology. Um, okay. My sister and I, and my brothers and sisters, we used to take stuff apart and try to figure out how it worked. Okay. And so that made me intrigued to go to to technology. Um, I actually had a brief stint where I went into, I was an electrician's apprentice, um, and I was preparing to be an electrician, but, you know, I said to the senior electrician one day, I said, well, my dad always wears a suit. I want to wear a suit. This job is, you know, this job is a dirty job, you know, hands-on. I want to wear a suit. And he says, well, you kind of want to probably do engineering. And um, so I looked into engineering and said, you know what, I want to design computer chips. So I started, uh, ended up going to college for engineering, and then... Um, while I was doing an internship, I realized that um, it was boring um, because I was sitting behind a desk for 12 hours, you know, designing um, computer chips and moving right. gates around and AND gates and NOR gates and, um, and nobody's talking to each other. It's just quiet. You're just in your silo and you're And I realized right? I, I was a people person and maybe it was all the sales experience I had as a kid mm -hmm. selling candy bars and things of that nature. You had um, a hustle inside you. Yes, yeah, so I, I knew I, I didn't want to do that anymore, but I wanted to do something that maybe involved technology and I get to interact with people. Okay. Um, and that's what got me into sales engineering. Um, part of that ambition also came from uh, my father. Um, um, back then, we didn't get along as well. Um, and so I moved out of my house when I was 17. Oh and, my. Uh, and my dad said something to me that really motivated me. And he said to me, um, you know, you'll knock on my door before I knock on yours. You'll be back. And um, and that was my said that and he, that was my motivation. And actually, I thank him now because you know part of it back then your parents are strict, you know, and he was extra strict. Um, and um, and I never really understood his stress of man, of having so many kids to take care of, um, and and what that feels like um, until I became an adult and a parent. So now I appreciate who he was and how he managed us and how he disciplined us. But back then it was okay. I'm going to show him. Mm -hmm. um, so I put my, that's when I finished the 12th grade on my own and said I'm going to put myself through college and I did and, um, and that was the beginning of my ambition and then um, in my drive and, um, and then having my daughter young. Um, I, I was a senior, a junior in college when I had my first kid and, um, and wanting to provide her a better life than I had was my, was the piece that kind of took it from showing my father I can do it without him to I'm going to provide a life for my kids that I could, I didn't have. Um, so that's the ambition, um, and then I sort of how I went from 
who I, what I thought it was going to be, which was a tech, te technical engineer for life, mm -hmm. to getting into sales and marketing because um, I wanted that network and the people piece, the piece where mm -hmm. I got the bridge, you know, my network and my ability to, to build relationships with people mm -hmm. with technology and making a difference in the world. That's remarkable. What Thank a story. You. Yeah, it, it, I love what you shared about your father. Kind of, And I always say that those who have the hustle are just cut from a certain cloth. And I, my observation has been is that when you get kicked down and somebody says something like that to you, mm -hmm. you react one of two ways. You either internalize it and say, yeah, that's true about me. I'm never going to make it. Or you're like, oh, I'm going to show you. Yes. And, and I do think that's the, the fabric and the DNA of the hustler. Um, I'd like to ask you, well, actually, let me ask you a question about your family. Like, what was their reaction? Like, what's the follow-up to that story? Did Dad ever knock on your door? Um. So yeah, so so first off, um, my family was surprised and always thought I would come back, um, and I did come back for a day or two um, um, because you know my mom and pushed us to work it out, and my mom Aww. was the center of the family, so I, I just came back at the wrong time. I actually came back the day before uh. my senior prom, oh. and um, so I came back. Went to the senior prom, came back about four or five in the morning. Now, this at this point, for about a year, yeah. I was I was living on my, by myself. So you had your own independence. So to come, so when I came back at five in the morning or whatever it was, my dad, you know, yelled at me and told me to get out of his face and all that. And um, oh, so I said, you know, I liked it better the other way. So I went back upstairs and packed my stuff back up and I left. Oh my um, gosh, Karim. And. Um, and yeah, he came back and knocked on my door. And that, but that to me now, and knowing what I know now, that's less important than, mm -hmm. than at the time when I was that age, it was nice that, that he knocked on my door first. Mm -hmm. But um, as a parent, as, as, as someone that has to raise kids like he did, and someone that doesn't even have anywhere close to the amount of kids he has, I, don't mm -hmm. even, um, I realized that, that who he was and how he was wasn't you know, like, oh, he was such a bad parent. Mm -hmm. It was actually a good parent, um, just misunderstood. He was just doing the best that he could. Yeah, I think all of us hit that when we're somewhere in our 40s, we realize, oh gosh, the, fl the switch flips, that now I get it. Now I actually understand why my parents were the way that they were. Um, Karim, what are some surprising things that you've learned about success on this journey? What are things that you didn't know before that you'd be willing to share with us now? Um, well, the first one I would say is once you get there, mm -hmm. staying there is just as hard as getting there. Really? And and you know you get because you especially when you already have some cards stacked against you. So okay. um, I pushed and I was so aggressive that it it, it oftentimes I was the youngest executive in my mm -hmm. position in my space. Um, I was one of few minorities. Yes. Also in that at that level in that space. So I always had to work harder, prove more, mm -hmm. um, prove myself. And and you, you every time you, you think you're comfortable, mm -hmm. um, you realize that you're not. And and, mm -hmm. and so whether it's you're successful in a big corporation, whether it's it could be your boss, it could be your peers, um, the envy and mm -hmm. the, the finding ways to kind of knock you down because you they don't want you to overshadow their success. Mm -hmm. um, um, so you, you get humbled and you, you learn how to uh, navigate that navigate space. That space. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, you know, 
like I said, staying there is hard. You know, maintaining your network. When you grow a large network, keeping that network up to date. The more people you know, the more people you have to keep in contact with. Mm -hmm. um, the less people you get to keep in contact with, the more people that feel slotted. That maybe you just forgot about them when you got to the top, and it's mm -hmm. not that. It's just it's but so many hours in a day. Um, but just maintaining that success, um, learning that that um, once you're there, just because last year I blew through my numbers. I got to do it again this year. You only get a brief and, pat on the back, yes. right? And then it's and, like, what have you done for me lately? What, and exactly. And um, and so the hamster wheel begins, and and the speed in which that hamster wheel needs to operate. It's not like you get there and then okay, now I can spend time with my family. Right. Um, you got it. That it, it keeps going and it's going, it's and more and, and and when you wait, it's more intense, and and it's more, and the higher you go, the harder it is to stay there. So that's one. Um, and then just juggling uh, work-life balance. Um, yes. Um, you know, you keep telling yourself that one day mm -hmm. I'm going to have time to do this and I'm going to have time to do that and I'm going to spend more time with my kids, yeah. but I'm going to provide this life for them first. So, yes. um, you know, from a success standpoint, um, I just, I did think I, I wish I knew in the beginning I could, you, you could plan for it, mm -hmm. is that, um, that when you get there, is continuous and maintaining mm -hmm. it is just as hard. And also, at some point, if you try to do raise a family at the same time, mm -hmm. um, I would just say that you got to learn how to find that work-life balance to the middle because the corporations they don't care. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they say, um, "Hey, yeah, we care about your family, work-life yeah. balance." But at the end of the day, corporations have a job to do and it's, and, and it's a bottom line it's a top line yeah. and if and it, if you're continuously improving it great um, and so you have to find time to do both and also not look back and turn around and your kid like I did at one point and say my kids are in high school and in college and I'm still I'm at that point where I'm, I'm about to say okay I can spend time with them but mm -hmm. I just spent 15 20 years building my career but that was 15 20 years of my kids life mm -hmm. so um, so things like that you know you just you you, um, you don't realize that the sacrifices you make yes um, and the time and span in which you make it and the and the 60 80 hour weeks right um, that sometimes you you have to really weigh out which one what is most important in life exactly. and then maybe Taking a little bit longer to be successful, but spending more time at home, or maybe not having to start the family until later. Right. Um, those type of things are things that I think that I learned in the success pool. I think that's really wise advice. Like just that sound bite, just what you said that maybe you can take a little bit longer to be successful because it's not going away. Exactly. And there's always room for people who have the hustle and, and people who are successful and driven. Um, but I think I understand what you're saying, especially when. Especially when you come, maybe not for money. Yes. You know, uh, there's almost I don't want to say fear, but there's that extra drive. And, and I always saw success, and maybe still do, the same way that you described that it's this end point that I've got to drive to there. And once I get there, then, it's then okay. I'm going to spend time with my family. Then I'm going to take the vacations and do this and that. But what you're saying is it's not really an end point. And budget your time wisely. Like it's kind of like uh, the only analogy I can think of is uh, those small businesses that grow wildly, but they try to stay within their NAICS codes without breaking through. You know, dumb. absolutely. Those smart ones manage their growth. They're like, let's budget it. Let's budget it over time because we can always hit the accelerator after the kids leave too. Exactly. And yeah. and that and that's that's the piece. And also realizing that you know you could take a break and it still be there when you get back. And um, mm -hmm. and creating once you create 
value, mm -hmm. um, then you it, then you have more negotiating power. And um, but like I said, uh, success is uh, it's a great thing, but it comes with uh, how do I say a great responsibility. Price. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it comes at a price as well. It comes at a price, and I think uh, what's interesting, you and I have talked about this over coffee. Uh, how intriguing has it been for you, this journey? I mean, you were in it. Like, I've known you for 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get on your calendar. It's hard to get a phone call in with you. But I, I, what I'm witnessing is that you're like three, four, five times as popular since, you, <laughs> since you've come out of that space. But what's been the startling learning experience for you as you're like, oh, this is being an entrepreneur. Like, did you have these moments of why didn't I do this earlier, or like, what are some of your observations as a new entrepreneur? So I've dipped my toe into the entrepreneur space. Okay, so this um, is um, not um, um, no, but it, it's it's um, it's new at based. It's new in the perspective of what I've learned since then, right? Okay. Um, for example, you know, years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, a group of friends of I, they we've got into a technology that um, was at the time bleeding edge, um, okay. a learning, an e-learning tool back in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, but a big thing that I learned there is I started the company with a bunch of people that had the same skills as me. Um, you know, a bunch of sales, sales-like people. Um, well, we didn't have people that really liked to do the administrative part of the job. And really liked <laughs> the to do back the, office and stuff. the back office stuff, and how and and how much we took big corporations for granted. Like, you know, how much we spent at Kinkos printing out our proposal. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, but here now, um, you know, when I I when I started Robinson Brown, it mm -hmm. came. It was really with a purpose mm -hmm. and with an understanding that it would be certain things that I would deal with and certain things that I, I actually would pace myself and not deal with. Okay. Um, so Robinson, um, oh, I guess I'll just dive into it now. Yeah. Um, um, so Robinson Brown was really inspired with by my mom. So mm -hmm. Helen Robinson, um, mm -hmm. she passed away last year, but before she passed away, she really challenged me on why I wasn't starting my own business and that... Um, so she's and the one. She's the one. And, and, and I wasn't really is happy mm -hmm. doing the things that 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 used to make me happy and so when I won uh, before you know when I early in my career first time I won a 10 million dollar deal I could tell you that first time I hit 20 million I could tell you that the first time I closed a hundred million dollar deal right. or multiple hundred and the first time I closed multi-billion dollar deals and those things I mean I felt like um, if you ever seen the movie pursuit of happiness that moment yes. when he found out he got the job and he just stands outside and you could feel the emotion that he was feeling at that moment right but, you know that's what I felt every time I Conquered something, right. blew through my numbers, hit, hit the top of the sales charts, and went on trips. But I, I, I wasn't really feeling that way anymore. Interesting. And um, so, um, and then I, I, somebody, I gave someone an analogy. It's like, okay, if you take a, a rabbit's portion of a, um, a meal and give it to an elephant and then ask him if he's still hungry afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, I felt like I was still hungry afterwards, right? And, and, and Your it, appetite it, had grown. My appetite had grown, and, yeah. and, and, and winning, simply winning and blowing through my numbers weren't making me happy anymore. Wow. And, um, and so she said, do something to make you happy. And um, so one of the things when I started Robinson Brown was to um, consult with small businesses, medium-sized businesses, mm -hmm. minority-owned, veteran-owned, mm -hmm. and help them with business strategy, growth mm -hmm. strategy, and consult with them to help them make it. I helped all these large corporations make it, yeah. and I become a rounding arrow on some big spreadsheet when you, <laughs> when you deal with some of the company sizes that I was in, right. you know, a $50 billion Lockheed or a $300 billion United Optum. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I wanted to make more impact in people's lives. Um, I, I, during COVID, I got a heavy focus on underserved communities, mm -hmm. underserved businesses. Um, you got to see inequities. And, um, and I said, okay, well, you could sit there and protest and scream about the problem, or you could do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something about it. So if I can take my expertise and offer it to small businesses and so they can get ahead and they become large and they could either sell their companies or hit their goals in mm -hmm. life, then, then I'm doing something meaningful. And then also um, be able to have the work-life balance and spend more time with my family, but also mm -hmm. um, do more charitable work and, pro, and uh, pro bono work. So those are some of the things that uh, kind of drove me towards Robinson Brown. So. Did I think it would be easy? No, um, and and at sometimes like it's overwhelming all the calls you get, right? But I told <laughs> I told myself in the beginning that I would pace myself. So there's been times where I told folks that I don't have the bandwidth right now, right? Um, but I'll I'll make something work for you to help you get to where you're going. Um, but um, it's been good so far. It's been fun, um, and um, really, really just excited to do something that makes me happy, mm -hmm. um, and I'm enjoying it. And um, and I don't feel like I'm in a rat race. Um, and you're giving back. And exactly. quite frankly, you're giving back. Like how how grateful would you have been to have someone like yourself now? go back in time and help you when you yes. were a fledgling young business. You're absolutely, your mother would be proud. Thank you. I know she would be. This is a remarkable. Um, you've kind of answered this already, but do you have any ad advice that you would offer those that are born with the hustle? Because, like, we know it, right? We're mm -hmm. different. We feel different sometimes. We're more driven, even as children, just the stories that you described. But... What advice would you give to the, the young viewers who may be watching us today who feel that fire, that spark of ambition and hustle? Like, what, what should they do? Um, one, uh, follow the hustle. Mm -hmm. um, two, you know, I ended up somewhere I didn't think I would be, right? And um, so, but sometimes you have to go. Yeah. And follow some path to figure out the right path. That's right. And and so for me it was I thought I would be an engineer doing the design work, being hands on, mm -hmm. um, and and end up being that I went into sales, marketing, strategy, M and A. Those are the things that end up being what interests me, but also what I end up being really good at. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me going down a path and a journey to yes. find the right path for me. And so I say, look, you, you may not know exactly what, right. or you might feel it's X today. Then follow that path. Yeah. Yes. And the people that you call, um, and you meet and the, the experience you have will help you get there. Exactly. Um, and then also, you know, um, don't take education for granted. You know, mm -hmm. um, some people go to school to pass. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really recommend tell people go to school to learn. <laughs> um, and it's a big difference. Um, okay. It's a big difference of getting an A yes. and knowing the answer. And it's another thing to understand it and how it applies. Yes. Um, Work early when you can because the networking, people skills, relationships are mm -hmm. key. Um, um, treat people how you want to be treated. Yes. Um, does it always work out? You know, some people have this ruthless thing, you know, all me. Look, being nice and, and treating people nice hasn't always panned out for me. Sometimes I, I get the bad end of the stick, but I never regretted it. And, mm -hmm. and eventually, the people that you take care of and you treat right, they'll always stay in your network. And so treat people right, um, um, keep a network, build a network, don't be afraid to have mentors. Mm -hmm. um, my mentors, some of my greatest mentors have helped shape me who I am today. And um, and if I never asked those people, like some of these executives were in high levels, whether it be 
Stephanie Hill at Lockheed Martin or Jerry Fasano, mm -hmm. um, um, even um, folks, mentors that I have today like uh, David uh, Stewart of CEO of WWT. Mm -hmm. Great man. Most people are like, oh, he's a billionaire. How do you talk to him? I don't talk to him about him being a billionaire. I talk to him about life yes. and experience. And, um, and um, so my biggest thing is I tell people, hustle. Uh, build relationships, be kind to your relationships, respect your relationships, never be afraid to learn more and realize that every there's usually someone else has something else to teach you. Mm -hmm. So always be okay with learning more. Just because you have a hustle doesn't mean you have to know everything. Right. Um, you be humble. Yes, be humble. And um, and um, so that's what I say. Follow your dreams. Realize that what you think your dream is may not be your dream, mm -hmm. but follow them, and that and you'll find your path along the way as well. I love it. Yeah. What you just said made me think of two things. One is, I always say, um, even a bad decision is better than no decision at all. Um, that first step is just put your foot out into the street and cross. Like, yes. just, just start moving. And um, back when I first started a Defense Health Agency, my first business development role, I had no clue what to do. And do you know Ron Peoples? Uh -huh. So Ron uh, shared this advice with me. I didn't know him. Somebody said, hey, you need to go speak with Ron Peoples. I'm like, Ron, what should I do? It's such a big organization. I'm studying it. I don't know where to go. And he said, Reba, let me tell you this. Here's what you should do. Start anywhere. Start anywhere. And that stuck with me to this day. The faith that just start anywhere. Like you said, you started with engineering, but until you take that first step, you don't meet those characters yes. along your path that shape your journey. We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. For all of my friends in the government contracting business, I want to tell you about a company I know well, led by one of our guests on East Coast Hustle, Kevin Fitzpatrick at GovTech. Kevin and his team are experts in liability issues that face the GovCon industry. Back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magula, and today's special guest, Karun Brown. One of my best friends, he's like a brother to me, always been a mentor, David Brown. Mm -hmm. But when I met David, we were at Two World Trade Center when I worked there, okay. and um, and I walked past his, he walked past my desk, and I had something up on my screen, and he looks and he says, huh, oh wow, and then he walks away. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, so I go chase this tall guy down the hallway, and I'm like, hey, what did you see? Why did you do that? And he's like, oh, no, I see how much money you can make. You'd probably be doing well. I'm like, no, I just got here. I'm new to Verizon. Um, come back and show me. Yeah. And Dave was a sales executive at the time, and I was a sales engineer, and he was in a different group. And um, so he walked me through it. And uh -huh. I'm like, teach me more. And before you know it, um, he taught me a lot. And then we ended up working together. He was actually my uh, uh, sales um, director when I when it first went into sales. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And so we've we've been friends ever since, um, and I've learned from him ever since. Um, he's one of the ones that pushed me on family values and things of that nature. Um, but. If I didn't go follow him, if I didn't get up intrigued by what he knew more than me, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have learned what I got to learn from him. And mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't. And I just say to people, um, you don't underestimate your ability to learn from people, um, the value of mentors, mm -hmm. the value of 
executives, senior leaders that I've done there that made those mistakes. I've learned more from my mistakes than I have from the things I got right the first time. Those to me, my, my life lessons and, and um, tribute, um, tribulations like the mistakes I made are really those things I look back on are those things that help make me stronger. Mm -hmm. So Beautiful. Love it. Um, this actually bleeds right into the next question. So you mentioned to me that recently you had to face some very difficult circumstances, um, circumstances that were so difficult to you that they have transformed you um, uh, in a meaningful way. Would you be willing to share more? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, life, life, your personal life, sometimes you'd be surprised what creeps up on you. Um, uh, most recently, losing my mom. and. You know, uh, my mom has battled cancer for 10 years, and she lived in New York, and I've lived in Virginia and Florida during those times. And um, as I kept, you know, I would get to see her, but not as much as I wanted to. But I kept mm -hmm. saying, okay, I'm gonna get this done, I'm gonna have this year, and then I'll be able to spend more time with her. Mm -hmm. um, and then before you know it, COVID hit, and I couldn't spend time with her because she had lung cancer, and COVID was a bad thing. I didn't want to bring her COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then before you know it, you know, the doctor's saying, hey, it's time we're going to put her in hospice, um, oh. and at that point, I kept putting it off. And um, and I, it, one of those biggest lessons there that taught me was that you know you can't keep saying you're going to get to your family, you're going to get to your family, you're going to spend time, just spend time, mm -hmm. um, and you got to find that work-life balance. And other things too is that that the success part of life is is important, but it's not as important as love and family. And um, so, and it, it, some of those, some of my life challenges kind of helped bring that in perspective for me, where I thought my success and my ability to provide for others, to help my mom and pay her bills and give my kids a life and, and grow up in neighborhoods and school systems I didn't get to grow up in, mm -hmm. that that was me, what I was getting out of the success too, but, yeah. um, but it, you can't replace you. And um, so, so, um, yeah. so that that's, that helped me a lot. And, um, and I got to spend, and then at some point last year, I just said, you know what? Work is going to be second. My mom's going to be first. And um, so for the seven months that she was in hospice, um, I was up in New York probably two or three uh, weeks a month by her side, taking care of her with my brothers and sisters. Um, and we're very proud of the fact that she didn't need a nurse or anyone from hospice to come take care of her. We were her hospice care. You know, we bathed her, we fed her, we took care of her. Um, you know, um, sometimes that was, that meant that I worked eight to five, and then I slept till nine, and then I did the night shift with my mom from nine to six in the morning. My brother or sister would take over, and then i go right into work. Um, mm -hmm. But what I didn't do was say, you know what, I'm gonna continue to work 80, 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I put work to the side, and did work suffer? Yeah, but you know what? Um, I spent time with my mom that I can't get back. And, um, but I also learned a lot about the fact that the work-life balance, the big corporations and what they feel and care about, mm -hmm. regardless of what you're going through, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if at a week or two is fine. A couple of months you're doing it, they're like, okay, when, when, in, when, when is are it, you coming back? When are you coming back? Yeah. Regardless of the numbers, they want more numbers. Um, yeah. And so um, that really, um, during that time, just changed my perspective. Okay, what am I going to spend my time on? Yeah. And that's when I decided that I wanted to spend the time on... Um, uh, a career I can control um, um, and grow businesses and do things that that 
um, are more impactful mm -hmm. than just helping a corporation continuously increase billions of dollars of bottom and top line. And um, so that helped me get here, but also mm -hmm. just put life in perspective for me. Mm -hmm. um, my mom, I lost the uncles and aunts and grandparents, uh, but my mom was the closest person I ever lost. And um, and she was only 69. And she was the glue. She All she did was help people um, and give people advice and want to make everybody else's life better. And that's part of what drove the mission and vision of my company because um, and a lot of people say, who's Robinson? Um, and I said, Robinson is the, I said, one of the greatest mm -hmm. creators in, in, in that ever walked the earth, um, but also um, just a kind soul that um, really inspired um, me to be where I'm at today. Yeah, I, but I've recently um, come to realize is that there's many types of riches in life and it's not just your bank account yes you know the quality of love that you have in the home um, relationship with your kids i love what you said about you can't replace you like i you know send them to right college yep. put money in their accounts but that's not you and and that's mm. it's um it's quality time Absolutely. Yeah, but it's a, it's a different form of riches. So I think that uh, it's amazing to hear that you've come to realize that hey, I've got a balance. It's a portfolio of wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we how do we balance both sides? And it's not always an easy decision. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, during COVID, we did a lot of work. I did a lot of work helping states um, with vaccinations and um, uh, testing. Mm -hmm. um, but at times, you know, we were working. 20-hour days. We were on the phone with the state of California until, you know, 7 o'clock their time, mm -hmm. but 10 o'clock my time, you oh know. My. And while other people were bored trying to figure out which, what to watch next on Netflix and, <laughs> and playing outside with their kids, I was in there on conference call after conference call, and, um, and you get torn and say, okay, well, I'm helping reopen the country, but I'm also mm -hmm. taking time away from my family. And time that they see well, all the other dads and outside playing yeah. and watching movies and dads in his office for 12 hours, 20 hours a day. Right. Um, so sometimes it's, it's even harder to make decisions because I knew what I was doing was helping the country, but at the same time, um, my family was going through a lot too with mm -hmm. all the changes with COVID and things of that nature. So. Um, it's 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 a tough thing to do, but um, all I can my biggest advice to folks is find the balance. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what you think you're giving your family is probably still not enough. So give a little bit more. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. Um, what was the secret? So, a couple of things. Um, do you identify yourself as a successful man or a successful African American man? And let me have a follow-up question to that, because you mentioned that there was some uh, uh, discrimination or, or perhaps underestimating who you are, but you really made it. You rose to the top in some very large bureaucratic organizations. What, would, what is the secret to your success? Like, we really want to know, how did you do it? And so gracefully, like, I have to say, I admire you. You've always been a very graceful individual. Thank you. And... Um Wow. So yes, I mean, look. Um, let me well, let me back up. Asking your first question, I see myself, and I want everyone else to see me as a successful man. Right. Um, a successful person. Mm -hmm. um, um, however, I, I'm not going to ignore the fact that my journey has been harder because of the way I looked, mm -hmm. um, or my age and the way I looked at mm -hmm. times. Um, so I had to work harder. And, um, but what I was determined to do early in my career when I had my first real um, 
uh, bout with racism I, I, in the workplace. I told myself I was determined to be the best, to, to make sure that they, they, those who discriminate, can see that regardless of the color of my skin, mm -hmm. I'm here because I'm good. Yes. I am, I, they need me. Yes. And regardless of the way I look, my age, um, I was going to work hard enough and build the skill sets that people were going to demand to need me regardless of the way I looked. Yes. And therefore breaking down barriers for other folks that look like me. Um, and so, you know, when I, early in my career, I worked at a company and I, you know, I came in and I didn't realize how unions work, right? And okay. in this particular um, company, I was in a union and I was one of 375 engineers in, in, the, in all of New England. And, but I was the only one African-American and I was the only one under 30. And mm -hmm. at the time I was about 20. Wow. And, um, and um, I came in and I worked really hard. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that the harder you work between eight and five, the less overtime that means it is for folks. Oh. And the culture of this, <laughs> the union was only do like one or two tickets a day and then there'll be plenty of overtime for everybody. And everybody made a lot of money on time and a half. Right. Um, so I didn't get that. So I came in and I was doing 10 tickets a day and they were doing three. <sighs> and then I was making them look bad. Um, and then at some point they started to call me um, the affirmative baby. Oh. And um, so I said to the guy, and he's like, um, oh. um, is it, so they would say, hey, A.B., and I didn't know what it meant, so they all start laughing. So one guy, he was about 31, he was not as, uh, he wasn't like them, so he would say, uh, you know, don't hang out with them, they're not your friends. And I said, what is A.B.? And he, um, he says, I did, thought they were calling me K.B., <laughs> and he was like, yeah. he said, no, they call you affirmative, A.B., because they, they, the only reason why you're here is because of affirmative action. Oh, um, my goodness. Um, so, okay, I got it, let it slide, I let it go, I just kept working. But then eventually, um, I got moved to run a site implementation, which mm -hmm. this lasted over three days. We had to install like 7,000 phones in um, three days, and I was the site lead, I was the lead for that project. And I came in, and these guys are sitting in the lobby reading newspapers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And they're like, oh, well, you're good enough to be in charge, you're good enough to get the job done. And they just sat there. Unbelievable. And I said, you know what? Okay, I just, I got it done. So I went and I started working. I worked basically 20 hours every day that weekend. <gasps> got all the phones out, installed the phone system, did it all, and had it all done. And um, and then my, these guys were shocked. They couldn't believe that I got the job done by Monday morning. They thought it was gonna be the end of me for not getting the job done, and I got it done. Um, so some of them, after that point, gave me some respect. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, but they would do things to come after me. Like I was going, they allowed, and so I didn't lose my scholarship. They allowed me to take, I worked during eight to five, went to school at night. Mm -hmm. But I had to take one day class to keep my scholarship. Mm -hmm. So they let me come in at nine instead of eight, take the day class, and then I would work extra hour at night. Mm -hmm. So that they filed a grievance against me. So I had to stop going to, I lost, ended up losing my scholarship. because. No. But it was okay, it was, it was, I was determined to show yeah. that I could still do it. So. Yeah. Um, I just took out a loan for school, for the rest of school, and um, with the scholarship covered, and I work eight to five like everybody else, um, and I pushed through it. But mm -hmm. I would I, that job helped me say, you know what? I am going to continuously 
show that I am the best, and I'm going to work harder than everybody else. And when everybody else um, is coming in at nine, I'm going to come in at seven. Everybody else is leaving at five. I'm going to stay longer. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was different because most, pe most most people in their twenties, you know, they were clubbing and uh, hanging out and dating. Um, me, I I was working. I I, I didn't I. I barely saw the inside of a party or a club when I was in my 20s, but that was my, my drive to say, hey, I'm going to get ahead, I'm going to be better. So, mm -hmm. um, um, but racism didn't stop there, it, just, it was just more of it, and mm -hmm. um, discrimination, and, but I always just focused on being good. And, yes. And um, so because I wanted people to say, he's not there because of the color of his skin, and, right. and they're meeting a quota, he's there because he's, he's good. And, yes. And often I got overlooked for jobs. I mean, but um, and half time people say, you know, it's that friend, friend Gerald. Um, I still have a friend Gerald, but Gerald said to me all the time. He says, "Why did you should have had that job? Why didn't they pick you?" I'm like, "Well, Gerald, you know, um, I don't know. Maybe next time." And um, and he used to say, "Push me, push me. Like you should just leave." There's no way your numbers are better. Than, that person's better than you. Yes. You should have the job. So it never really went away, uh -huh. but. Um, but eventually, it was more balanced, and and, and my skill sets and my talent overshadowed the folks, the discrimination that I faced. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, um, but I do want folks to see me as a, a successful person. Yes. Um, and what hard work and, and determination is, and hustle, um, and not as um, a successful black man. Yes. Or. or um, knocking off both the black and the man part. Right. Um, at the, but I also want young minority kids. Mm -hmm. um, I want people that are in a class that is discriminated against to know that mm -hmm. you can make it. Mm -hmm. That it may take more. Mm -hmm. And yes, you have to work harder. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. You do have to work harder than others. Mm -hmm. But you can get there. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to result to an easy route of crime or being less or staying where you are in the neighborhood you always grew up in mm -hmm. because it's going to be hard or you can't get there. You can. Cracking through that ceiling is going to be a little bit harder, but you can get there. And today it's easier than it was 20 years ago. And for me it was easier than it was for my father and, his, and my mother. And, and it was always easier for them than their parents. So mm -hmm. the world is changing. It's not changing as much as we want it to, mm -hmm. but um, it is easier. And I'm hoping that my story helps some un uh, underserved community or some discriminated group know that you can get there if you were caught. Amen. Oh, I just love that. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Karoom. And this is something I, we all face some sort of judgment. You know, people make a judgment when they look at you. And, I, and I've always said the same thing. It's like the best remedy to prejudice and discrimination. Be the effing best. Be the best. Be indispensable. Uh, and quite <laughs> frankly, like at the end of the day, people can say whatever they want. But who's delivering the numbers? Who's exactly. really working hard and getting the job done? Who do they feel the absence of after they've left? Like you, that is the key, I believe, to um, overcoming a lot of these things. But like you said, you can't sugarcoat it. You do have to work a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. But there is a path. It, I, absolutely. But it does feel good when you do leave somewhere, and you know they they'll feel oh yeah the gaping hole that you leave. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And it may take them three months, it may take revenge, them six sweet months. Revenge. <laughs> um, um, but I, as my father once said, um, uh, those companies will miss me before I miss them. So. <laughs> I love it. Well said.
We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. On this show, I never promote executive leaders and companies that I don't know well. My friends and colleagues at Accelerate Solutions are truly gifted experts across the company's three service areas, enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Accelerate optimizes efficiency and effectiveness and enhances the security of America's physical and cyber infrastructure, as well as personnel. Agencies as large, complex, and important as the FBI depend on Accelerate. To learn more, visit AccelerateSolutions.com. That's X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E Solutions.com. Now back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba McGulick, and today's special guest, Karun Brown. You mentioned envy early on. I always like to ask about that because um, I often wonder uh, how do you, how do successful people deal with the envy of friends, former friends, family? Um, you know, do you ignore it? Um, in the Forty Eight Laws of Power, there's a whole chapter dedicated to envy, and, they, and it's really highlights how dangerous it is and how you shouldn't underestimate the danger of envy. But I'm just curious. You know, did you have to sign off old friends? Were you able to? bring them on along with you on this journey? How do you deal with it? Um, so, a couple of ways. One, I do ignore it. In the beginning, it was frustrating, mm -hmm. but I still ignored it. Um, what I mean by that is, um, people used to say things to me like, um, oh, you're lucky, you have a good job. <laughs> oh, you're lucky, you finished college. Uh -huh. I'm like, well, I paid every cent of my college tuition I paid. Right. Um, nobody paid for me to go to school. My parents didn't have some money stockpiled away. Mm -hmm. um, when my friends were clubbing, I was going um, to work. Mm -hmm. I was going to get my master's degree. Um, you know, when others were, um, you know, uh, taking it easy in college and mm -hmm. I was working at Lucent Technologies and going to do my undergrad at the same time. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're, you're working too much. But at, when the time I graduated, I had experience at a big company and I had my bachelor's degree so those type of things so during 9-11 when everyone else was scared to go in the city I was going into the city because um, I had just started my master's mm -hmm. program you had to um, so I had to um, um, just like you know uh, when I worked at Ground Zero it was like oh you're lucky you got to work at Ground Zero I'm like no it was sad yeah um, I did it because that was part of my job but I wanted to help um, um, so just you know Envy comes in a lot of different ways. Um, I tend to ignore it. My real friends um, wouldn't be as envious. They would be driven by my success. Inspired by um, it. Inspired by it, and it helped drive them if they're not as successful. Um, but no, I have friends that I, uh, good friend I was talking to today, um, I, he's been, I went to junior high school with him. I went to high school with him. I went to college. We were college roommates, um, and we're still friends to this day. And even when, early in our lives, when we had financial problems, he borrowed money from me, I borrowed money from him. Mm -hmm. So I have friends like that that are still my friend to the day. Mm -hmm. I have friends that just kind of went different paths, so I don't speak to as much, mm -hmm. but, um, but mutual respect and still friends. Um, but as far as the envy, um, I've seen less envy from friends and family. Mm -hmm. And more envy from, you know, colleagues and business and, colleagues and management and yeah. folks at work for and you know, including people I reported to. But right. um, but really friends and family, if they're really your friend, you know, you won't feel an envy 
that impacts you. Um, okay. And if you have friends where you feel they're envy and you feel them sliding you, then maybe they're not really your friend. Um, right. And, and then um, same with family. You know, family is supposed to love you, supposed to respect you. And mm -hmm. if you, if you, and if you treat your family right. Mm -hmm. um, and you love your family, um, then they shouldn't feel the need to be envious of either. Mm -hmm. um, it's the way I see it. Um, now, I have a skewed mind of the way that is, but I tend to ignore the envy, the jealousy. Um, look, you either support what I'm doing and, cause I, and, and we're friends and we're family, mm -hmm. um, or I just, I just ignore it because I don't spend time with negativity because it just doesn't really... It's toxic. It's it? toxic. You know, I'm a glass half full, um, not a glass half empty. I don't spend time on the things that could bring me down. I try to bring, spend time on the things that lift me up. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting how you said uh, even people that you reported to, sometimes you felt they, their envy and again, not to bring up 48 Laws of Power again, but chapter one, chapter one is never outshine your master or never outshine your boss. So again, it's yep. like a, a delicate twist on be cognizant of envy and sometimes shining too hard. Yes. But, you know, you got to well, do what you got to do. I, hey, I had a, uh, a leader once put in my performance review. Um, Karim has a bad habit of saying, I told you so. <laughs> I told you so? I, I told you so. And I, I laughed and I said uh, to the executive that the the executive that reviewed it with me, which happened to be the chief growth officer, and, that's in a, and, um, and I said, hey, you really spending time on that bullet? I said, so if the head of your healthcare group has the head of the growth for the healthcare group saying, I told you so, what does that mean for the company? That means that that executive missed out on growth. Because every time I, as your growth leader, say, I told you so, that means you missed growth. Right. So should that be in my performance review or his? But I also realized that, um, that um, delivery matters mm -hmm. and, um, and understanding people matter. Mm -hmm. So if you have an executive that tends to be envious, tends to be jealous, then sometimes you have to feed that beast in order for you to get ahead. Um, so maybe in certain arenas you let them shine. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe instead of saying, I told you so, and being frustrated that he or she didn't listen, mm -hmm. um, maybe just let it go um, mm -hmm. and focus on how do you succeed around that. Mm -hmm. Excellent advice. Final question for you. I always, I'm just very curious about this. What have you learned about money? Um, money, I learned a lot. Um, uh, money's like uh, if you're really hungry and you go to a, it's a big, nice spread of food. My parents used to say, you know, we load our plates up. And your, <laughs> eye, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Um, um, sometimes financially, people's eyes are bigger than their stomach, okay. um, or, or their eyes are bigger than their wallet, if you will. What do you so, mean? And what I mean is like, you know, everybody wants the nice car and the mm -hmm. house and the clothes, but sometimes you overextend yourself. And if you, um, and when you grow up uh, less fortunate, mm -hmm. um, especially coming out of underserved communities, you don't really have a sense of uh, wealth management, uh, financial management. So um, I learned that if I had a chance to do it all over again, I would have spent more time understanding personal wealth management investments, but also what separating wants and needs, mm -hmm. um, short term versus long term. Um, and, um, you know, I had, I'm fortunate, you know, at some point in my 30s, somebody said to me, hey, you know, he was buying a lake house or another house, mm -hmm. and I said, well, how do you afford all that? Well, I, I didn't know how until I got a wealth manager, and I understood how to manage my money and mm -hmm. taxes and things of that nature. So um, 
um, I've learned from a financial perspective that um, that there's a lot more to creating and generating personal wealth mm -hmm. than just having capital in a bank. Um, and also some of the material things are less important than some of the things that could really generate generational wealth if you manage your money the right way. So okay. um, my, my just big thing about money is everybody wants to be rich, everybody wants to make it. And, and like I said, some people say money doesn't make you happy. Like I, I can say that, like I said, not having money and growing up without money made me, made you, make me unhappy. So <laughs> I know what it's feeling not to have and I know what it feels like to have. It's better to have, mm -hmm. um, you know, but you should, um, work to live, not live to work, and mm -hmm. that's—I I don't know who came up with that saying, but it's a—it's a—it's mm -hmm. a probably the truest statement about money is, um, you know, work, manage your money early, understand the importance of your credit, and mm -hmm. um, building foundational wealth and generational wealth, um, but also understanding the difference between if you're buying a material thing that you mm -hmm. can afford, and that it, if it makes you happy, then fine, um, but. Just be careful that you you don't overextend yourself. You're living within your means, mm -hmm. and you have a plan, long term financially. And it should be a three year plan, a five year plan, a fifteen year plan. You know, most people say, "Ah, oh, don't worry about retirement. I'm I'm still young. I'll, I'll worry about that when I'm fifty. Well, you don't really want to worry about your retirement when you're fifty. Yeah. Um, and so, I my biggest advice about money is just understand how to build wealth. Mm -hmm. Understand. Um, Necessity versus need, um, necessities versus wants, mm -hmm. and and try to balance what's important, but also understand where you want to go. As like my kid, one of my kids said to me, "Hey, Daddy, you know what? I'm fine with just making a hundred thousand. I don't want to work as hard as you." Oh. Um, I said, you know, so I said, okay, you know. Um, um, so then now that she's called it adulting, mm -hmm. um, but she starts seeing how much things cost. And, and an apartment, and, and, and an apartment in a good neighborhood versus apartment bad. It's like, oh wow, well that apartment costs, you know, two thousand a month, but this one's a thousand. But the neighborhood's real sketchy, as she would call it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, it costs more to live in. She's like, now she's starting to understand a yeah. nice, a nicer car. Then when you have a nice car, it costs money to maintain it. Um, so you know, I think that understanding wealth, understanding mm -hmm. money, and the the way you want to be. Mm -hmm. And what it costs to be where you're at is important. So I know that's a long way to say um, uh, what I learned about money is I didn't know enough about it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish I did, but learn about money. It's not just about getting rich, but mm -hmm. the sustainability of your actions. And I got to look at certain things and, and learn more about it. Like Michael Jackson, I was like, oh, how is Michael Jackson bankrupt? And yeah. I said, well, he had a, he bought a house that cost seventy million dollars a year to maintain. And if you at one point, if you can't sustain seventy million dollars a year, then eventually you're not going to be able to afford that house. Right. Right. So Simple, living within your means and understanding where you want to go and how much it costs to maintain that lifestyle um, is something else that I would I would say is important. So. Karim, you were the perfect guest to bring on our show today. You have perfectly defined the hustle, what it takes, and the steps that you need to go through in life. Couldn't thank you enough. We have learned so much today. A lot of golden nuggets to take away today, my friend. Well, thank you. And um, hopefully every New Yorker out there, I, rep <laughs> I represent it for you and the New York hustle and, and taking that from East Coast to nationwide to globally. So thank Woo! you. Woo! World domination next on the list. Absolutely. <laughs>